Not a soul in here tonight that needed to hear that message. And so we pray, Lord, that as we hide our hearts in your word tonight, the word that has been sung, and now in just a few moments, the word proclaimed. We thank you that we have a God who is not distant, is not some other place, but a God who is right here, right now, who knows me, knows each one of us. So, Lord, I thank you for that. That means that any situation, every, any circumstance, anything that might be overwhelming tonight is not outside of your care and not outside of your knowledge. And we give you thanks for that tonight. And so as our, as our minister who is going to come and proclaim the truth of the word tonight, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts among these pews for every situation, every circumstance, and we would be still before you. And we would know, we would know that you are Lord and you are our God. For that we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Michael and choir. Can we uh, encourage them one more time? Thank you so much. I think, Michael, the choir was bigger than just this choir tonight. At least we were singing out there, and it was fun to do. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're here tonight, and uh, as you heard uh, uh, Chaplain McPherson remind us of uh, tomorrow night and uh, then Friday night, both uh, services at uh, 7. And if you have a church that you're a part of on Sunday, I want to encourage you to do that. If uh, you don't, then you can be here for our 11 o'clock service uh, Sunday morning. Uh, when Dr. Busick will be concluding uh, these services with us. And then there's an event tomorrow night in Canterbury, I believe, is that correct, at 5 o'clock. And if you'd like to know a little bit more about uh, uh, what's offered at Nazarene Theological Seminary, and uh, Dr. Busick is the president of that. And uh, so if you'd like to talk to him about some of that, I even think there might be some pizza hanging out there too. And so you come around 5 o'clock tomorrow night for some conversation and it's good to avail yourselves when folks are here on campus, uh, here day in and day out, and some that come from time to time. Just an opportunity for you to just kind of explore what God might be doing in your heart and your spirit. It's a privilege of mine to uh, attend Nazarene Theological Seminary. They even let me graduate a long time ago now. And it's been a place that's been so shaping in my life and foundation. And uh, it's really, really good to know that uh, the place that I love so much uh, after I left here at ENC as well, uh, is uh, le- led by uh, such a tremendous man of faith. And uh, David Busick is here this week, and uh, his wife Christy, and, and they've just had their first grandchild not too long ago, so uh, they're rejoicing in the presence of God in their lives. And uh, what's even better than all of that is that they know they're doing what God has called them to do. There's no better feeling than that, is there? And so would you welcome the Busicks tonight, and Dr. Busick is going to come and speak, and let's open our hearts to God's Word tonight. Thank you. Well, greetings, everyone. I greet you in the name of the Lord, and really good to see, see a lot of you back from this morning and to see some new faces as well. Greetings to those of you from Wollaston Church, and look forward to the rest of the week together. Uh, I I was thinking as the gospel choir was singing about a passage, and I'm not sure why it came to my mind, but I thought about the chapter, Acts chapter 7, 
And the story there is of Stephen, the first Christian martyr who's giving up his life for the cause of Christ. And as he's being beaten to death and stoned, Luke tells us he has a vision. And it's a vision of the heavens being opened. And Stephen says, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. Up until that time, pretty much everyone had heard, I see the Son of God sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. But in this moment, in Stephen's worst moment, in his greatest crisis, Jesus couldn't stay seated. He's standing. And so I thought, you know, Jesus, I think, stands when his children need his help. But I think there's another time Jesus might stand. And that's when he hears his children singing the kind of praises we heard tonight. And I have a feeling just from time to time that Jesus is on his feet just saying, Encore. Encore. And that's the feeling I had tonight from you as you sang choir. Thanks, that really ministered to me. And uh, I know uh, when, when we sing the praises of God, God inhabits the praise of his people. And I, I felt like I entered into that. So thanks. It's been a busy day. It's been a great day. We started out the morning with uh, chapel and what a great group of students are here. And uh, I enjoyed that immensely. And then we met with some NTS alumni and followed that up with a couple of hours of a pastor seminar this afternoon. And uh, then I went to dinner with the religion faculty and I'm back to preach again. So I am pumped for this night. I hope you are too. Uh, Do me a favor, just real quick, turn to a neighbor right now and, and just tell them, I'm really glad you're here tonight. Thanks for coming tonight. Okay, now, here's one more thing I want you to do. Turn to the neighbor on... Are you ready for this? Turn Turn to your neighbor on your right and say, you're better looking than I thought you were. Okay, one more, one more, just to humor me. Turn to the neighbor on your left and say this. God loves you, and I'm trying. (laughs) So... So there's some husbands and wives who are talking to each other tonight. I like to see that. Have you, ever, have you ever felt like you had the kind of a past that was so hard and shameful and that you were embarrassed to even think about it yourself, that, that you thought from time to time, I think I'd die if somebody knew what I was about a few years ago, and maybe even you're redeemed and you're... Uh, in the family, but you still have these, these haunting memories about your past. If that's true for you, I hope you'll be here tomorrow night, because we're going to talk about someone who had a pretty shady past, and we're going to talk about how God redeems our past, 
and gives us a new future. So that'll be tomorrow night. I hope you'll be here. But tonight, I dropped a little bait in the water for our students, and I said, tonight, I want to talk to you about, will the real Jesus please stand up? Will the real Jesus please stand up? You know, Jesus is very popular today. Did you know that? We now have Jesus breath mints. We have Jesus dog collars. Jesus Band-Aids and Jesus Bobbleheads. I know because I just looked all of it up online. (laughs) You can now put Jesus on your bumper and you can now buy Jesus bubble bath. Walk into any Christian bookstore and tell me that you don't find those things. And are you like me? Are you like me? Do Do you from time to time just ask yourself, what have we done with Jesus? What have we done with Jesus? We have commercialized him. We have consumerized him. We have secularized him. We have culturalized him. We have personalized him. We have Americanized him. And we, my brother and sister, have made Jesus into our own image. I'm afraid. We have literally made Jesus into who we want him to be. But can I just say to you tonight that not every Jesus is the real Jesus? That's going to come as a relief to some of you who've given up on the Jesus of other people's opinions. Tonight, I want to introduce you to the real Jesus. Listen to what one guy named Kevin says. We have Republican Jesus, who is against tax increases and activist judges and for family values and for owning firearms. We have Democrat Jesus, who is against Wall Street and Walmart and for reducing our carbon footprint and who's against printing money. There's Starbucks Jesus, or here we would say Dunkin' Donuts Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. There's open-minded Jesus, who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except, of course, for the people who are not as open-minded as you. There's touchdown Jesus, who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians, and who determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. How many of you knew the Patriots and the Ravens were playing this weekend? Okay, I thought I might get some. There's gentle Jesus. He's meek and mild with high cheekbones and flowing hair and walks around barefoot wearing a sash. Looking very German, by the way. There's uh, yuppie Jesus who encourages us to reach our full potential and reach for the stars and buy a boat. There's platitude Jesus. Good for Christmas specials and greeting cards and bad sermons. Inspiring people, just believe in yourself. There's revolutionary Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man, and blame things on the system. This is one of my favorites. There's boyfriend Jesus who wraps his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. 
And last but not least, there's spirituality Jesus who hates religion, churches, pastors, priests, and doctrine, and who would rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to, listening to ambiguously spiritual music and watching Avatar. <laughs> I threw that one in. We all laugh at that. I, I think Brother Kevin, the guy who wrote that, maybe he was drifting into a little bit of sarcasm to make his point. But we all understand the gist of what he's saying. We have recreated Jesus into the Savior we want him to be. And I'm afraid that even David Busick has taken his words and at times made them fit my agenda. And I have made Jesus look like me and think like me and speak like me. And I have fashioned Jesus into my image. And maybe you have too. And so I kind of get to the point where I just want to stand up and say, will the real Jesus please stand up? Who is Jesus? The answer to that question may be the most important thing you'll ever hear. Who is the real Jesus? So to answer that question, what I want to do tonight is spend a couple of minutes looking at what was actually one of two self-designated titles that Jesus gave to himself. He said, when you talk about me, this is the term I'd like you to use. The term is son of man. Son of man. Now, in the Greek language, the son of man is translated anthropu, and that's where we get our English word anthropology. And so you could say that son of man could be translated as son of the human being. And that expression, son of man, occurs 82 times in the four Gospels. And Jesus is the one who references that to himself. Let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, Matthew chapter 8. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He also said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to be served or to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so here's what I want you to get tonight. Whenever the phrase is used about Son of Man, it is Jesus talking about his humanity. In other words, no less than 82 times in Scripture, we have Jesus saying, I am a human being. Apparently, it was pretty important for Jesus that we get that. And so what do we know about the human side of Jesus? Some of this is going to be kind of rehearsal for you, but for others of you, this is going to all be new information. I'm going to tell you tonight about who Jesus was. The first thing is Jesus was a Jew who lived in first century Palestine. He was not a figment of somebody's imagination. He wasn't a superhero. He wasn't a fictional person. He was a real man who entered real human history and who lived in real time and really walked on this earth just like you and I walk on this earth. Jesus had real parents. His mother's name was Mary. She was a Jewish peasant teenager from Nazareth, which is a real town, still is a real town. 
His adopted father's name was Joseph, and Joseph was just an ordinary blue-collar worker. He also was from Nazareth. He kind of worked with his hands. He did construction work. And when Jesus was born, they gave him a name that was very common. In fact, there would have been hundreds of Jewish boys whose name was Jesus. That'd be kind of like naming uh, your son Bobby or Joey today. There's a lot of Jewish kids running around. They'd say Jesus and 10 people would say, me? Now, we don't know a whole lot about his childhood, but we do know he was raised in a, out in the country. He was raised in a small rural village in the backwoods of Galilee. A lot of people would have called him a country boy. Jesus spoke real languages. He spoke Hebrew and he spoke Aramaic. Still languages that are spoken today. Jesus was the oldest sibling of a couple of brothers and sisters. And he grew up in a devout Jewish family who taught him to study the Torah. And who took him to synagogue every week. Jesus read from the Bible. Guess what Bible he read from? It's called the Old Testament today. We even have records that his family made annual trips to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And we know that for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, Jesus worked in construction. He, was, he made his living with his hands because his dad was a carpenter by trade. And Jesus followed in his footsteps. But somewhere around the age of 30, Jesus took off his tool belt and he folded it into the corner. And he began his public ministry. Now, I'm curious tonight. How many of you are about 30? Stand up if you're about 30. <laughs> Seriously, I want you, if you're about 30. Now you're looking at, you know, right, how old are you? Uh, All right, so picture him in about one year. That's probably how old Jesus was when he started his public ministry. Good job, guys. Thank you. Here's some more stuff about Jesus. Jesus never married. He remained single his entire life. He was an itinerant preacher of the kingdom of God. He didn't have a home of his own. He would travel around from place to place, usually on foot. Most nights, he'd just throw his blanket down. He'd sleep right there on the ground. Jesus wasn't a wealthy person. In fact, as far as we know, everything he owned, he kept on his back. He had a backpack. He just kind of carried it around. What did Jesus look like? Well, the only reference in Scripture we have to the way Jesus might have looked is found in the prophet Isaiah, who tells us that there was just nothing about his physical features that would make him stand out. He was probably just an ordinary-looking Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi. He probably had olive-colored skin and dark eyes. In other words, Jesus didn't change the world because he looked like Brad Pitt. Good to know that. What about his personality? What was Jesus like as a person? Well, this we know a whole lot about. Some have portrayed Jesus as kind of this serious, no-nonsense kind of person. You know, always uptight. But listen, that is not the Jesus we find in the Gospels. Jesus was the kind of a person that made everybody feel comfortable. Unless, of course, you were a Pharisee. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. It didn't matter if you were a saint or a sinner, if you were rich or poor, if you were male or female, if you were a senior citizen or a kindergartner. Jesus had such a magnanimous spirit that people just wanted to be in his presence. He treated enemies as friends. He gave women respect. He offered dignity to social outcasts that everybody else had pushed away. And that included the AIDS victims of his day. 
They were called lepers. That included the Bernie Madoffs of his day. They called them tax collectors. That included kind of the the homosexuals of that day. The prostitutes. And that included the hated enemies of the day. They were called Samaritans. They were kind of all welcomed in Jesus' circle of relationships. He, He just had this personal charisma that people... The Bible says that people would sit for days without food. Riveted to his teaching. There were times that Jesus actually had to tell people, you guys need to go home and get something to eat. And though he was incredibly busy, he took time to deal with the simplest of requests. He spent hours every day just interacting with people and loving people and healing people and making them feel important. And by the way, Jesus liked a good party. Jesus knew how to have fun, even to the point that all the cranky, spiritually constipated folks, you know, who thought that religion was supposed to be all rigid and without joy. They said, Jesus likes parties too much. It was interesting. I was on an airplane a while back and I sat by a woman on a plane who found out that I was a pastor. Usually that really changes the course of the conversation. (laughs) And it did that day. She proceeded to inform me. Her whole countenance changed. She said, I am not a Christian. I said, oh, really? Why not? She said, because my granddad became a Christian and it changed him. And suddenly he was never fun anymore. And for the rest of that flight, I talked to her about the difference between religion and Jesus. There's a difference, you know. Religion and Jesus are not the same thing. Religion is a set of rules to maintain. It's a standard to meet. And and that's the reason why religion as a whole can beat people down and can steal their joy. But Jesus did not repel people. He he drew them. He compelled them. He motivated them. People were changed just by being in his presence. Listen, my friends, Jesus was the son of man. The New Testament leaves no doubt that he was a real flesh and blood human being who was like you and like me in every single way, except that he lived a sinless life. He was without rebellion to the Father. He never was in resistance to his relationship with God. And and interestingly enough, there have been people across the ages who, who have really struggled with that. They have been uncomfortable with, with Jesus' humanity. There were one of the earliest Christian heresies was called Docetism. And it came along as one of those heresies that said Jesus' humanity was just an appearance. Jesus only appeared to die. He only appeared to really suffer. And according to them, there was nothing physical about Jesus at all. Some of them even contended that Jesus never left a footprint on the ground when he walked and Jesus never blinked his eyes. It was just too much for them to imagine that maybe Jesus, that maybe God could really take on human flesh. But listen, The Bible makes this clear. Jesus was fully human and fully divine. Which doesn't mean that he was half man and half God. It wasn't like he was 50% God and 50% man. He was fully both. He was the son of God and he was the son of man. 
And that combination, fully, fully man, fully God, is what we call the incarnation. And those of you who know a little language know that carne means what? Carne means meat. Jesus put on flesh. And he experienced life just like we do. And that means, for example, that Jesus didn't know everything about everything. You say, where does it say that in the Bible? The Bible is very clear about this. Take a look at Luke chapter 2. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It meant Jesus grew up just like we have to grow up. He grew up physically and intellectually and spiritually. Not only that, but Hebrews tells us, although he was a son, listen to this, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus grew and learned and developed and he matured just like you and I do that. How else could he fully understand us if he didn't do that? He was just like us in other ways. Jesus experienced hunger. Every now and then he just, you know, craved a good cheeseburger. Jesus got bone tired. His back was stiff in the morning because he's sleeping on the ground. He wasn't on an air mattress. Jesus got the flu. Jesus scratched mosquito bites. Jesus didn't like snakes. Okay, I just threw that one in there. Um, (laughs) Jesus had to take a bath or he didn't smell good. Jesus bruised when he got bumped. He bled when he got cut. He cried when he got sad. He got cavities. He had pimples in junior high. (laughs) We're talking about the real Jesus. Are you with me? Jesus had disagreements with his parents. One time when he was 12 years old, Jesus disappeared for two or three days. His mom and dad didn't know where he was. They were not happy about that. And I always envision this conversation with his mother, Mary. Where have you been, young man? Don't you know I had to be about my father's business? Well, that may, you may be the son of God, but you're grounded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus had hobbies. He liked to fish. Jesus liked to take off time from work. He liked to get out on the water. He liked to hike up in the mountains. He liked to be alone in nature. Guess what? Jesus had conflict with his family. Amen, sister. I heard that. (laughs) Jesus, his brothers were ashamed of him because they didn't understand why he would leave the family business. There were two or three times they tried to have an intervention. Did you know that? They came to where Jesus was and said, Jesus, we need to talk to you. Jesus got angry when he saw injustice. One time he got so mad about the crooks in the temple court, he just started turning tables over and ran them all off. Jesus had no patience for hypocrisy, especially religious hypocrisy. Nothing made him more mad than when people gave God a bad name. Jesus had incredible vocational success. And Jesus had devastating disappointments. The Bible says his following went from numbering in the thousands 
down to just a handful of people in the end. Jesus' heart got broken when he saw hurting people. The Bible says when he saw the crowds, he had so much compassion on them that he was moved in his inner being, down in his gut. It moved him to see people who were hurting. Jesus knew what it was like to lose a loved one. One time his best friend died. And he went to his funeral. And he was a couple of days late after his death. This guy's name was Lazarus. And when Jesus showed up at the funeral, the Bible says the pain was so great and he felt so overwhelmed that Jesus just started crying. And he was weeping for his friends. He was weeping over the loss of Lazarus. But I think he was weeping because he saw death is not what we planned for. And Jesus got discouraged. And I hope that helps you. Because one time Jesus was, was under so much stress that he actually got up from where he was praying. He went over to where his friends were and he said, I really need you guys right now. Will you just come and stay with me? Will you come and pray with me? Have you ever needed somebody just to come and stay with you? Jesus had real temptations. Listen, anybody who tells you Jesus didn't face real temptations is not coming, it is not scriptural. Because Hebrews says, He Himself suffered when He was tempted in every way, just as you are tempted. And because He did, the Bible says, He is able to help those who are being tempted. That's the reason you can trust Jesus. That's one of many reasons, because He knows what it's like. Those weren't just make-believe temptations that were no big deal to him. It wasn't like they just kind of brushed. He dealt with the same kinds of temptations you had. And he found a way through it because he wasn't resistant to the Father. He was tested in every way just like you are. Jesus knew what it was like to be falsely accused. Toward the end of his life, he had to stand in a courtroom. And faced trumped up charges. And he had to listen to vindictive people lie about his character. And he just stood there and he took it. And in the end, Corey, Jesus was betrayed by his friends. He was arrested by the police. He was brutalized by the police. He was humiliated by his adversaries. He was tortured by violent men. And finally, publicly, he was executed in front of everybody on a criminal's cross, bare naked for crimes he didn't commit. Jesus is the Son of Man. I want to tell someone tonight, he can fully relate to you. I've got to tell you one story. It was a couple of years ago. I'm a, I love to play golf, and a friend and I, a couple of us were playing golf, and we got off, we teed off pretty early in the morning, and, and so we were going to play 18 holes, and we got done, and it was still pretty early, and so we, we said, let's play another round, and we were almost through the first hole, like about hole 16 or so, so that means we had two more to go. We saw a little girl out there on the side of the the, the fairway selling lemonade, you know, lemonade, 50 cents a cup. And she was there with all her stuff set out. And I didn't go and stop the first time. But the second time around, this is three hours later, and now it's about three o'clock in the afternoon. I, we come to the 16th hole again, and she's still, stand, she's still sitting there. 
Still got the same sign, looks like the same bunch of lemonade and all that. But now she's been out there baking in the sun for about five hours. So I said, I can't let her go through that. You know, I got to go buy some lemonade now. So I walked over to where she was, and, and there, was, there was one cup sitting there. It was about half full. I said, how much for a cup? She said, 50 cents. I said, I have a dollar. She said, I don't have any change. I said, you're sharp. I said, I'll take it. And I picked up that, and all the ice was gone. And the lemonade had been baking in the sun. It was all watered down. And I took about three gulps, and I thought, I can't spit this out in front of her. So I said, I'm just going to take this plastic cup with me. And I turned around to walk off. She said, hey, sir, you can't take that. That's my only cup. (laughs) I said, really? Uh, (laughs) Communion has never been the same since then. I've never been able to think about that story without thinking about this. Jesus drank from your cup. He walked in your shoes. And there's nothing, there's nothing, there is nothing that you can experience that Jesus doesn't understand. And that is what the incarnation means. Jesus was the Son of Man. Let me tell you one more quick story. Father Damien was a priest who was known for his willingness to serve lepers. The year was 1864. And Father Damien moved to Kalawa'u, which was a village on the island of Molokai, which is Hawaii. It had been quarantined as a leper colony, which meant that the only people that went there were people who were going to die of leprosy one day. And that's where Father Damien went. For 16 years, he lived in their midst. And he learned to speak their language, and he bandaged their wounds, and he embraced the bodies that nobody else would touch. And he preached good news to people who had given up on hope. And we know a little bit about his history. We know he organized schools and bands and choirs. And he built homes with his own hands so that lepers could have a place to live. He he built 2,000 coffins by himself so that when they died, they could be buried with dignity. And the legend says that slowly that Kalawao became a place to live rather than a place to die because Father Damien was there offering hope. The only problem was Father Damien wasn't careful about keeping his distance. He didn't try to separate himself from the people he was serving. He, he didn't hug, he didn't kind of hug them from afar. He, when he dipped his fingers into the koi bowl, it was the same, the same people who were dipping their fingers in the koi bowl. He didn't go wash his hands after he dressed their wounds. And he would deal with open sores, and yet he would love them and kiss them. He got too close. Until one day on a Sunday, he stood up and he began his sermon like this. We lepers. And now he wasn't just helping them. Now he was one of them. 
And from that day forward, he wasn't just on the island, he was in their skin. Because he had chosen to live like they lived, and now he was going to die as they died. And they were in it totally together. And because of his sacrificial love and his Christ-like example in 2009, he was canonized by Pope Benedict. And he is now known as Saint Damien. And you know what I think? You know what I think about? I think that one day, God, God, let that sink in. God came to earth. And he said, we lepers. Because now Jesus wasn't just helping us. He was one of us. He was in our skin. And we were in it together. And my brother and sister, please listen. If the incarnation of Jesus means anything for us, it means that. It means we are in it together. It means that he understands our human predicament. It means there's nothing you can face that he won't get because he was one of us. Jesus entered into our world. They became the Son of Man. And we are in it together. I got to tell you, the more I think about that, the more I think that I, I worship Jesus for his divinity. But I love Jesus for his humanity. Look at what he's done. Would you bow your heads with me? Just in the quiet of this moment, I, I hope you'll take just the next minute to quiet your heart. And see the real Jesus. Full of compassion. Full of love. Do you see the look in his eye? Do you see the way he looks at you? He loves you more than you could ever know. If there's one person here tonight who's struggling to believe that, look into the eyes of Jesus. If you're struggling to believe there's a God who would care about you, look at Jesus walking the earth. Look at him with children. Look at him with lepers. Look at him on the cross. And don't tell me God doesn't love you. Tonight, if for whatever reason you want to come and pray, I, you know, I've been a part of a church for a long time that had altars down front. These aren't the only places a person can pray. But it's a good place to pray, and it's a place where people who love you can gather around and pray with you. But if you just want to talk to Jesus tonight, 
If you want to invite him into your life, he's here. If you want to come and just share some burdens with him, tell him what you're struggling with. Tell him what's hard. And know that he'll listen. And know that he'll care. And know that he has the power to do something about it. Stand right now. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to know us. Tonight, I'm looking out over a group of people that that want to believe it. Want to believe that you took on our skin. Lord, it's an amazing message, almost too good to be true. But tonight, our faith reaches out to you and we believe. So for, so for friends who are seeking, for friends who are just needing strength, for someone who's just carrying a heavy burden tonight, maybe even some that are praying for people they care about, tonight, we're going to take a minute to say thank you. Let's sing this song together. And if anybody wants to pray, we'll invite you to do that, and then we'll close the service together. But let's worship the Lord. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you. Jesus, Jesus, nothing. 
care about. Let's be sure that nobody's praying alone. People may want to pray quietly, but let's be sure they feel some support. Others of you may just want to take this opportunity to slip down and pray for yourself. And I'll close a prayer. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. For what you've done, Jesus, for what you're you're doing, and for what you are going to do, we worship you and we love you. Jesus, you know the situation and the heart condition of every person in this room. You have known us since our inception. You know about our life. You know about our weaknesses. You know about our desires, our fears, our hopes, our dreams. You know all of it. And tonight, you are here to give us fullness of life. And I pray that for every person under the sound of my voice, including myself, that we would know your fullness, that we would know everything you intended for us to know. You know us so completely. We want to know you completely. We want to know your love and your grace. We want to know your forgiveness. We want to know your redemption, your restoration, your healing, your wholeness. Tonight, Lord, we offer our very selves to you. Lord, we pray for the one seeking forgiveness. Be their forgiver. For the one seeking peace, be their peace. 
for the one seeking reconciliation. Lord, be their reconciler. We offer our very selves to you. We know you understand us. You've walked in our shoes. And we're here today to walk with you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. We offer these prayers to you. And all God's people said together, amen. We're going to let those who are praying continue to pray. Some of you may need to slip out. I totally understand that. Others of you may want to just sit quietly and pray. But if you do need to slip away, would you do that quietly so we can have a place of reverence here? The Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. God bless.